Hello, and welcome to the Sound Architect podcast. We've got a very special episode today for you. We will be discussing Final Symphony, the symphonic movements of Final Fantasy VII with Jon Valtanen, and I'm joined today by Thomas Kohlfeldt as well. Would you guys like to introduce yourselves and tell us about what you do? Hi, uh, yeah, I'm Tom Quilfelt. I work with uh, a label called Laced Records, which puts out video game soundtracks primarily on vinyl, but also on uh, digital and CD. Uh, recently, or last year, we um, teamed up with Merignon Studios to put out the vinyl and CD deluxe editions of Final Symphony, which we'll be talking about today, and also Symphonic Fantasies Tokyo. Fantastic. And what about yourself, Jon? Uh, yeah, my, my name is Jonne Valtonen and um, I'm a composer and arranger and I've been arranging these uh, game music concerts for the last, I think, 15 years already with uh, Thomas Berger and Meregnon Studios and that's been my main sort of working ground, also composed game soundtracks and my own music. Fantastic. And just to kind of get a bit of background on yourself, Jon, how did you first get into composition and, and writing music? Oh, I, 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 I've always wanted to be a composer, like like forever. And uh, I started, I mean, I, I started to study piano when I was very young, like nine, I think, and did all the music theory and uh, these uh, classes I took for music quite a long time ago. And uh, and I, I think I then I sort of we got a computer and I met some these uh, these kind of guys that were doing coding and doing graphics with computers and uh, I sort of hooked up with them and uh, I it was just this weird weird world opened up to me they were doing like the demos and these kind of all kind of multimedia okay I'm a bit. <laughs> Getting quite uh, quite uh, here and there, but <laughs> no, but fine. we were doing like like this. Uh, I mean, I got into this group that were doing demos with computers, like in in the nineties and in the beginning of two thousand, and uh, we did in this group called Future Crew, and we worked a lot of demos and music and these kind of things, and it was quite global actually, even though we were like something like sixteen or twenty or. That and that—that's sort of how it threw me into this electronic music composition way. And uh, after this demo group thing, I sort of yeah. After that, I've sort of they, people who were doing in the who were working. I mean, we were just children basically doing these demos and stuff. And they started to form game companies, and I sort of thought that wow, that's very interesting and. Uh, because they knew me and I sort of got some fame by doing the, this kind of electronic music stuff for them. So I got tired to do some of the early games there and uh, we started to our own music studio and started to do music for games and basically for theater and such. Basically, basically for everybody who paid for the music, I guess. <laughs> and, uh, Musical mercenary, isn't that always the way, huh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to. I mean, in this line of business, you sort of, especially when you're starting out, you have to do a lot of different things. And at, at some point, I noticed that 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 the whole thing, the game music thing, was going to like real orchestra recordings and such. And I sort of panicked a bit, and I got to study music. Uh, I studied it something like six years and 
with that time I met Thomas, who was sort of a fan of my old work in the in the demo scene times, and yeah, uh, yeah. and uh, he asked me to arrange some very small, like three minute pieces for for this game music concert concept he was producing and. That's sort of how I, I I got into this road. I'm now I, I I've been studying quite a lot of music and I've been playing all the time like classical and and not so classical music. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's that's um that's I guess how I ended up at the moment here. Awesome, Jon. Is there something between the tracker programs that you were using to create music in the demo scene? And now, obviously, you've learned how to write for a full orchestra. Is there any knowledge or techniques that you've managed to cross over between those two things? But because I, I think of that kind of tracker music as very dense, very quantized, very kind of um, complicated and busy. And obviously, with the orchestra, you have the full dynamic range and, uh, you know, a whole palette of subtleties. But are there any things that translate from tracker music to orchestra? Yeah, I, I guess, you know, in a way, it's it's like a writing for an orchestra is still like you do stuff with a sequencer. Like, but the thing is that that there are actual human players who are not as precise, like you said, it's not quantized. So it's just, you just have to know how to program the thing i mean the orchestra so that it sounds the way you would like it to sound and that's that's basically the every program i've worked with i i mean i i use a lot of pen and paper and just write things down and it's i guess it's just the way of learning different mediums how to get the best out of everything but but i think uh, because my origins were from this electronic music so I, I sort of think how things sound a bit differently maybe maybe if, if you just have this kind of uh, if, if you you've grown up with the writing for an orchestra and orchestration kind of things I, I really really I, I all, almost think flutes like they are like like sine waves and and oboes like a saw wave or something and that's Thinking about <laughs> in my mind style, it's, it's yeah. a bit like this kind of the saw and then you have this kind of whole mass that uh, that is produced by the orchestra i don't know i i might think a bit a bit different because of the origins how i sort of approached the music originally cool and i really much like color and all these kind of things that comes i guess from the tracking and the electronic music side of things mm. oh, that's interesting and before we go too much into Final Symphony, I just want to kind of introduce to our listeners a bit more about you, Tom, because obviously this is a first kind of co-host um, occurrence on The Sound Architect. So I just want you to give a, a very brief bit of background about yourself um, and why you are so interested in the Final Fantasy VII Symphony. So I um, come from, I guess, in recent years, the music industry, a sort of marketing and PR background. But uh, whilst... I grew up with music and as a multi-instrumentalist and as a bit of a hack composer once upon a time. Uh, I was always also in parallel in love with video games. And then obviously, if you're of a certain generation, you grew up with one of the 
classic Final Fantasies, maybe sort of four to Final Fantasy nine, I guess. Yeah. Um, you can't help but fall in love with that music. And it's almost inevitable. It's like a gateway drug into more <laughs> video game music. So Final Fantasy seven um, hit me really hard in uh, 1997. And sort of fast forward in, in the last couple of years, I started working with Laced Records, uh, which puts out video game soundtracks uh as i said and i've been doing blogging for them and also their social media and uh, and that's just been a really kind of privileged position to be able to write the nerdiest most esoteric um detailed <laughs> nonsense about this this thing i fell in love with uh and really dig deep into it and the absolute ultimate was of course hearing final symphony properly when we started working on the vinyl package um really going through it and, uh, and my favourite music is from Final Fantasy VII, and here's a lush, fully orchestrated, wonderful, intricate piece from there. So I thought I'm going to, in Article 4, like dig through moment by moment and find out which Nobuo Matsu tracks uh, Yon had used for each section. And then, of course, that's kind of what leads us to here. Fantastic. And yeah, I have to say, uh, I myself am a huge Nobuo Uematsu fan. He is my number one composer. So I am very excited to be talking about this symphony today. And uh, again, the same as you, Tom, Final Fantasy VII was the first Final Fantasy that I played. And of course, the soundtrack made it for me as well. You know, not only is it a fantastic story, but the music is an incredible accompaniment. Um, so, Jon, how did the final symphony idea first come around? When was it conceived? I, I, think, I think it was after the symphonic fantasies i mean we started to experiment with longer forms for telling the whole story of the game and dropping the audience to this atmosphere of the of, of the game so we thought about doing that uh, well i thought about that quite a long time i mean we, we did I, at least one uh concert before final symphony but uh I, I think it's been growing the whole time I'm, and it's been sort of the natural progress and how, how we thought about things. Just taking things a bit further and seeing how the audience likes it and uh, what they like and what they don't like in general and sort of having these kind of loose parameters there as well. And sure. Then we thought about, well, we could try this. I mean, it's it's at least it's something very different that what usually people have been listening, maybe like these shorter versions of just like the original yeah. tracks. And and uh, of course, it was a huge risk because you never know how people will re react to it, especially as it's quite new. And uh, even though the, I mean, the actual form and the idea is very old, but uh, just trying to combine this very like very pop thing and very this like old uh, orchestra tradition thing together and sort of bringing the best from the both worlds i guess of course and yeah. then thomas in the end he said that okay let's try it and we started to work on it of, of course final final symphony is a a whole concert suite with there's an original work by you for the intro and there's sort of arrangements by Roger Wanamo and Masashi Hamatsu as well. But your symphony being, of course, based on Final Fantasy VII, it's arguably the most popular um, uh, Final Fantasy game, it is the centrepiece of the whole work. But it was conceived 
as a concert suite to be played live and it was first performed in in Germany in 2013. How did you feel when it came to actually record it for CD uh, in Abbey Road with the London Symphony Orchestra? Were you excited about that? Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it totally. <laughs> I mean, it was totally surreal. I mean, the whole experience. Uh, I've been a huge fan of the London Symphony Orchestra, like from the first time I saw Star Wars, and uh, I even get to talk to some of the original players from that from that original recording and uh, recordings and uh, that's pretty uh, incredible yeah i mean it was just and everything is so professional and i don't know it's it was just it really is number one experience in my book till today at least yeah, so I, I bet, yeah. it's just it really it really was i mean I, the thing is that i thought that you really can't do this any better this is like how, how there isn't any any anything beyond this in a way <laughs> which is quite sad actually a bit were you tempted to change the score at all for the recording or is it the same as the concert suite uh actually it's the, we did did do a rewrite for it uh, i mean i i roger also did some rewrites for some sections that weren't working as good as he thought and the same thing was for me i mean uh, all the time i've been working with thomas is that he always asked me to do these kind of experiments and go crazy and try something new and try to think things out of the box in a way. So there were some places that didn't work at all. Mm. <laughs> so so I changed those. Like the fireworks works, uh, fireworks. Yes, that section. The original it it didn't sound good at all. So I did change it, mm. like quite totally and. Uh, there were some other places as well I, I wrote a bit differently how it was originally. I mean, in Wuppertal, how it was played there. Yeah. So, but I, I think it worked worked better then. And it was kind for Thomas to do the actual rewrite because it costs quite a lot to print all the parts and do print all the scores and and the conductor has to do new markings. And it, it's it's quite a big process actually. But, uh, but I, I'm glad we did that because we got a better result after that. Cool. And just for a bit of background for our listeners, obviously you've converted a lot of Nobu Uematsu's scores for Final Fantasy VII into a symphonic um, form. But can you just give us a brief explanation about what the traditional classic, well, classical symphonic form entails? Well, actually, it's, it's I mean, the whole, the whole idea today is symphony is considered as, as a sort of a pinnacle of one's work or one's like uh, composition skill or has the biggest meaning and and these kind of things are usually associated nowadays with it but i mean it i mean it, the whole sorry this is very bad to say but the whole concept of symphony has been changing like all the time and there's there's been these kind of certain things that have been more like written down how things should be in a symphony and then it got changed again. Mm. I mean, originally it started just like instruments playing it together, sort of. Yeah. And then in, in, yeah. in Mozart and Haydn times, you have these kind of certain uh, movements and maybe some key relations that are used and, and some kind of forms inside those movements. And uh, that's, I guess, nowadays people consider like classical symphonies a bit like 
this kind of era or then maybe a bit later when the romantic era began and such you had this Beethoven and all these kind of later yeah later people but but the original is sort of you have this kind of I, I guess it's it's like three form or four form sym- symphony is, is the original kind of I guess how you would think how people usually think symphony if, if you don't know more about it so so I mean the the way I think of there's a sort of fuzzy notion I have of the symphony and I guess that's just because recently I've been listening to some Beethoven Sibelius symphonies so yours definitely fits into what I personally think of as romantic whether or not it is specifically in that era but kind of three to four movements there's a, an exciting one there's a slow romantic one yeah. and then there's a big triumphant kind of finale and you get motifs and melodies that come come back um uh, and 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 you sort of feel them weaved in and out and obviously with Sibelius that he's sort of famous for having these huge big brass endings that kind of bring everything crashing down and that and final uh, the Final Fantasy 7 symphony feels very much in that mold to me oh right cool yeah yeah it is I mean it, it has it has quite a lot of echoes from the from the old times, like the last movement is, is sort of a very loose rondo, for instance, and the first movement is, it has some kind of sonata form, very loose kind of, it, it has these like ideas of the old forms. I, so it's, it's uh, that's also how, how I try to incorporate it on the, on the symphony idea. But, but like you said, I mean, the f- first one is usually more, the more very energy, energetic and Quite often in, in like earlier symphonies, the first movement is considered like the most weightful movement. So you have mm. the most chain there. And that's also the reason, well, I'm skipping ahead now, but that's also the reason why there is like uh, Sephiroth and Cloud are there because they are like the most, they are the people who drive the whole story. Of course. So, yeah, that, yeah. And, uh, so that's the reason there. But I mean, and the, like this classical symphony, Form, there is this like this heavier f- first movement and then the second movement is is very like the uh, slower movement and then the last movement is again faster and like you have these big endings there and of course you could also have I mean I I didn't use I thought about doing this scherzo which is kind of uh, uh, shorter movement that's fast usually and I was thinking how maybe if I could sort of introduce Sephiroth a bit more there but it mm. didn't I mean it, it would have taken quite a lot more time for the symphony and it, I, I just couldn't make it fitting there so we let, left it off so that's how it became like three movement symphony. Cool and before we start breaking it down movement by movement just for the benefit of our listeners we're going to be going through each movement but discussing a specific segment that we'll play for you all to listen to as well along with us um and then we'll be discussing that specific segment as well as the movements as a whole but before we move on to each movement i just wanted to ask how did you just such a phenomenally long story um and so many pieces of music how did you decide what each movement was going to focus on because we've got the first movement which is the nibelheim incident we've got the the second movement um, and we've got the third movement as well, which, so the, sorry, the second movement was focusing around the fireworks moment and words drowned by fireworks is the, the title. Um, and the planet's crisis is the third movement, but 
obviously it can, you can only encompass so many tracks within each movement. How did you decide what story to tell and what tracks to use? Well, yeah, that, that was a really hard part. I mean, I, that takes a long time to decide. And obviously you, have, you, you sort of have to internalize everything first so that you can switch between pieces in your mind and uh, then just uh, think how what pieces for instance fit together in like how they are presented in the game and how you would sort of want them to be presented in the in the in the music and uh, i guess uh, i i i had a lot more pieces there but in the end you start sort of just dropping pieces out because they are not fitting there yeah i mean they might have like this music thing that is not fitting at all and it might take the whole whole feeling of the movement for instance to a totally different place so that so then you sort of drop it but maybe you use some some like thematic material or some kind of textural idea from that sort of to keep it more on the final fantasy side and it is quite a big process and of course i try to choose pieces that haven't been played before obviously you have to have certain pieces there that have been played quite a lot but yeah but uh, i don't know it's it's it, it was a hard process and I, the, in the end i just wanted the, each of the pieces to sort of feel coherent yeah. like they would be yeah. one piece in a way and trying to find things that fit that fit in the game and fit in the music and fit everywhere together and also motivic motivic vice so that you have things that sort of make sense there of course yeah no, it makes complete sense so let's start talking about the first movement so tom we kind of worked on which segment we were going to discuss specifically um but did you want to just describe um the timing and, and what we're focusing on here so yeah the, the first uh, movement which i wrote up in in the article and which yon uh, sort of helped me understand what the story of it was um is based around the nibelheim incident it's sort of vaguely that sephiroth is going mad with power and he's fusing with jennifer and we sort of see this we witness this through cloud's lens to some extent um, and we, I've chosen, uh, or we've chosen rather, a, uh, a, a one, one and three quarters minute segment for everybody to listen to that covers uh, those chosen by the planet with a, a little bit of one winged angel. Also, it takes a snippet of the opening theme uh, from the very beginning of Final Fantasy VII and also the track Who Am I, which people will recognise as the kind of nightmare scape track that plays once cloud has been dropped into the live stream mm -hmm. at medeal when tifa is trying to kind of reconstruct his psyche so it's dark um you know it's it's all of the sort of darkest uh, material from the game really and it really goes into that uh, the darkness of sephiroth and jennifer and the evil spirits yeah definitely so we'll, we'll play that segment for you now um, and then we'll have a short, we'll have a, we'll have a discussion afterwards.
Okay, so a fantastic segment of a fantastic movement. Obviously, we can't play the whole movement, sadly, because it's uh, it's quite long to go through each part in full. Um, but the tracks that are kind of in there, as we said about Tom, are those chosen by the planet with a bit of one-winged angel, um, the opening theme, and who, who am I? Now, obviously, players of the game will know that all of these happen at very different moments. You know, the, the opening theme is obviously at the beginning, um, those chosen by the planet is is kind of the flashback in calm and one winged angels the end with who am I at the medial kind of crossing point where cloud has a lot of self-realizations of who he actually is but I can see why you've chosen them Yon, because they all focus around the beginning you know of cloud and Sephiroth's tale yeah yeah so um Tom you wanted to kind of discuss a bit of the, the kind of choice of instrumentation here as well because I mean, it's, it's very brass heavy at the beginning isn't it so I, I really like this segment because we get the, the the opening theme at the beginning of the game is quite positive and it's quite uplifting and you the camera pulls back and you see Midgar but but here Jon is making a very much a minor key mm-hmm. um, he's he's almost oppressing us with it with this brass and then we get uh, the segment kind of builds to this Wagnerian peak so it's very Sturm and Drang it's very dramatic um, so Jon why why brass did you really want to sort of impact the audience so early on yeah i I wanted to have a big opening for a big piece of music and also to really like uh, i i have this feeling that i mean in in you have to tell the the background story i mean everybody knows the background story but sort of bring them to this kind of world what how i felt it to bring them really like drop them there and you just, I mean, it's very Wagnerian, the bus, yes, and brass, I mean, and uh, everything. So I wanted to really like, I mean, to have the big contrast for the beginning. And uh, I just wanted to pick a big opening for a big piece. That, that's the reason. And and to have this kind of big, big um, separation between the quiet and the loudness of, of things so that you would really have this kind of big impact how the world sort of opens up to you and uh, sort of introduces the whole atmosphere of the whole movement. I I love the contrast with the opening to the game as well, because obviously the opening of the symphony is driving home that um, kind of tragic beginning of the characters, whereas obviously the game doesn't really allude to that until quite a few hours in. And I I quite like how you've done that, um, as Tom said, oppressive introduction and, and kind of really driven home the history of Cloud and Sephiroth. Yeah, because it's not a cheerful tale, is it? These aren't happy people. <laughs> of course not. No, there's a lot of tragic, in, uh, sort of a lot of tragedy in their past. Um, so it's good to kind of have that chronological introduction for a change. And we see, we see also that Sephiroth's uh, importance in the story, but also, of course, the players experience Sephiroth during the kind of the present in the game. Sephiroth is not Sephiroth. He's kind of fused with this. Mm. Uh, Geneva, so they're kind of like this hybrid alien evil thingamajig and um, and that's what you're chasing and battling throughout most of the game and and for a large part of the game Cloud his mind is splintered he doesn't really know who he is he's suffering from amnesia he's been treated with this magical chemical um, and and he he sort of remembers that Sephiroth is evil but it's complicated because they used to be colleagues as well. Well, yeah, obviously he's got his mind kind of melded with Zack's memories at this point as well. So he still thinks that of, of Sephiroth is evil, but not quite 
sure on his part in that. So, Jan, how, how far did you kind of put that story down on paper or did you feel your way through it musically for the most part? I, actually, I, I what I mean, I never played the game. I, I I played some segments, but I never played it like whole. But I watched a couple of times the whole playthrough on YouTube, and I did a lot of notes. I mean, I have a lot of written music and all kinds of other notes here. And I I sort of I did I did write down the main story and uh, tried to find like a good way to introduce it all, and. Uh, yeah, that's, I mean, like, like you said, uh, this is like the introduction for everything that's sort of getting moving in the, in the game, like the, like Sephiroth and Cloud and, and the whole world in, in below there. I've got a, qu- a very quick question about orchestration. We hear with, when the track Who Am I comes in, or at least the arpeggios, and obviously arpeggios are quite famous in Final Fantasy music because yeah. of the, the, the prelude. But you use tuned percussion. Is that right? And could you just explain to people when it when it really drops down? Could you just explain to people uh, sort of around the two minutes and nine seconds mark what what instruments you're using there and why you chose them? I mean, I have I have sort of uh, vibraphone there doing the percussion and also piano is doing that. Mm is doing the arpeggio but uh, the whole idea for this whole piece is that i wanted to make it sort of dirty you know kind of um, mm. because the actual game is quite dirty you know i mean all the, mm. all this there isn't really like this light happy seeds there at least yeah how, it's how all I very gritty it. isn't it so so i try to reflect that in the music as well and everything is sort of hiding thing i mean like you have this let's see so you have like this like this this thing and then maybe the vibraphone plays the actual and the piano is playing like these kind of things then and everything is sort of covering each other and uh, Mm. also so that you'd hear it, but it still is, there is always this kind of sting or sort of orchestration thing that's covering something. Yeah, and that's that's how I try to approach almost all the places I was doing, and this is also the same kind of idea. Well, I try to do that as well here. Yeah, yeah. and then you have like some thematic material on 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 like uh, clarinets and uh, and bassoons and such, and of course in in strings and these kind of things and then you have the uh, like this thumping of your of your heart in 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 the grand casa which is very low like bass drum basically giving this mm. dun, 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 dun thing following there so that's the yeah. orchestration <laughs> yeah there's it's all very interesting and and final fantasy as a series especially around this point in the series there's a lot of kind of f- what i would describe as sort of floaty ghostly um fantastical magical stuff that helps uh, blur the edges so you it's you're perfectly allowed to do that with the music because in the games you know there's various points where characters are kind of floating in the ether or fighting a boss whilst floating around some big magical thing and it's it's none of it is based around physical realism at all is it it's 
um, they can get away with it because uh, the baddie is a huge mystical fantastical beast or um, the excuse is just magic. So, so using those more ethereal elements like you're doing, um, it still fits within the whole fantastical element of the game and the music. Yeah, yeah, that's actually how I how I approach it. Mm. But there, I mean, there's a lot of it's very like quite a lot of the approaches are quite quite uh, very text textural, and there is usually more than one instrument doing doing a melody or such and there is all, all, always this kind of dirtiness I, I did try to I mean there are probably places will probably come to some other places as well maybe where it's more obvious but uh, but also also in this place I, 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 especially on the ending of this uh, this who am I section when it drops to this sephiroth like cacophony kind of thing it also goes to this like total meltdown. You have all these dee -dee 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 -dee, and all, all these are these sequences coming from different keys and different pitches and in the end and and uh, so you have this like big mass of cacophony concentrating to one point and then when it hits you have this kind of separate set loose in a way. So it's like you have the fragments from the one winged angel then sort of flying around and that's how i sort of thought about this this section and with the a hallmark of noboru matsu's work during this period is that and it's probably something he gets from the nares and the snares is that the melodies are very direct and and straightforward when you hear them and of course that's a gameplay consideration uh, and they also loop a lot of the pieces loop within the game of course but you have the luxury of you can take any segment of any melody and then weave them all together in a much more complex tapestry. Did you find that particularly a fun way to put things together? Because they're, they're very simple and easy to like lift the melody from his original work, but then you're making it a much more textured, complex work. Yeah, I, I, and that's great. So that they are very recognisable. And I, I think you can pretty much recognise everything if you just listen close enough you can pretty much clear all the melodies that have been used i mean he he really has a skill of doing very like catchy and very recognizable themes and uh, that was just a joy to i mean intertwine and and put things here and there so how they i i think would make sense and uh, and the good thing also is that i'm the people who are listening to this also know the themes very well so you don't sort of have to you, you don't have to use a lot of time to present them. You can just like use this theme and then instantly quite a few people know what is it about. And if you put it in a different context, then they sort of also understand what's happening without you trying to, you don't have to explain it so much in, in the music. And that was just great joy to do. And the, uh, the end of this first movement, you kind of, you really lean into One Winged Angel um, and Sephiroth and going mad and it's really big and dark and you sort of blow everything up really at the end <laughs> to go into the very much softer and more romantic um, second movement. So Sam, if you're happy, we can move on to the second movement? Yeah, I was just kind of curious how you wanted the first movement tie into the second movement or if it's a completely separate storytelling situation there 
did you want the end of the first moon as tom says you literally just you've blown everything up everything's come to that cacophonic ending and you now going to move on to words drowned by fireworks which is a much more serene movement for the most part um, for the for the most part obviously i mean at least for its introduction especially um and what was the story between the end of the first movement and the beginning of the second movement ah in, in the end just like in the end of the first movement i thought that sephiroth sort of finds out who he is like then he knows right, his purpose perfect. and everything and it, you, I, I have almost have like this like spiritual kind of realization of it and uh, the the music and the orchestration is sort of has some echoes from that earlier music concert music for that and it really sort of i try to reflect the the grandness of when when he finally understands what he is and uh, of course then you have a big uh, like again there is a big uh, contrast for the next piece just to uh, sort of underline the fact that it's i mean the whole love aspect of it and all all this uh, cloud and his companions they are sort of quite innocent in a way compared to Sephiroth so yeah. that's also mm. I, I wanted to build a big gap between that to show that idea as well there and sort of bring them more into their their actual world there there's two moments in the game really that you're you're picking out there so if players can remember I think there's a flashback scene when players reach the Nibelheim mansion and Sephiroth's in the basement and he's reading about his uh, the Setra and Jennifer and everything and he's coming to this kind of big realisation. And then we jump from there at the end of the first movement to um, the romance of Cloud taking uh, Eris. He can take other people from the party on the, yeah. on the date in, in Gold Saucer, but, but quote-unquote the best version of that if you win uh so to speak um you get heiress uh, uh so we jump from like you say the 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 dark realization of sephiroth to the relatively innocent romantic moment between cloud and and heiress and it's also uh, i quite like the contrast in terms of going from sephiroth who is for want of a better word an, an experimentation based on Genova, the calamity in the sky originally thought of as a cetera um but then going to heiress who is actually a descendant of you know the, the absolutely so, yeah true the real thing yeah the actual legitimate article yeah oh, bless if carlsberg made <laughs> ancient races <laughs> um so yeah instrumentally it's quite a clever movement in general but tom i remember you telling me something that uh, even i didn't realize at first either was the fact that cloud is is, is being interrupted while trying to talk to eris um about life and emotions and everything while they're on their date and and you've brought this to this movement haven't you Jan? which is quite fascinating for me and it's it's something i didn't realize it didn't occur to me that uh that maybe it it took someone who was who was watching and making notes rather than necessarily playing it at a younger age but that that date that cloud's not just bad at conversation although he is quite bad at conversation but the fact that they're trying to maybe strike up a conversation, but the various attractions of gold sauce, like the chocoboo, chocobos and different things are distracting them from having a proper date, as it were. Uh, okay, so the second movement, very loosely, is that Cloud and Eris are on their date in the gold saucer, and they can't quite 
uh, get it together because uh, fireworks start going off in the middle. And then Tifa turns up and either interrupts them or they all have a lovely um, time together in, in their love triangle. And then unfortunately, that by the end of the movement, Sephiroth turns up to really uh, uh, piss on everyone's parade and stabs Eris through the, the chest. Uh, it's a heartbreaking uh, conclusion. But uh, we're going to listen to a segment that's a bit happier, uh, that's earlier on, that really, I think, highlights, Yon the incredible instrumental um, arranging work you're doing here with this, this firework section. So we're going to listen to about uh, two minutes to about uh, four and a half minutes now. Excellent. Let's take a listen to that then. Cool. So, um, again, another fantastic segment from a fantastic movement. Tom, you were you were saying before, um, there's only a couple of tracks in this one, really, in this segment, really. There's the, the words drowned by fireworks and, and Aerith's theme, obviously, to accompany the date that Cloud is on with, with Aerith. Yeah, and it's, it's mainly focused at this particular point that we've selected. It's mainly focused around words drowned with fireworks. But b- before and after this as well, we get a lot of kind of clouds theme which or you could say that the main theme of final fantasy 7 from the world map which is it's it's okay to call it clouds theme because it basically is it's a bit like in star wars with the the force theme or luke's theme yeah um 
and uh, you also get a bit of Tifa's theme uh, later on in the movement, um, which cheekily kind of comes in, uh, as I describe, um, as it all overlaps. But the reason I chose this particular segment is because uh, Jan chooses to evoke actual fireworks using the whole palette of the orchestra. And it's just so clever. You might not you might not think of it that way until someone tells you, no, 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 you know, this glissando, glissando in the violas is is a firework taking off and then there's these little splashes as they explode and then they get bigger and bigger and the brass come in. Um, and I just really wanted to, to highlight that. Uh, although the segment does start with full Rachmaninoff romanticism and, and huge sweeping melodies. Um, so, so Jan, you said that you you came back to this for the studio recording um, yeah. and, and that presumably you're a lot happier with your with your second pass. How did you think of, how did you even conceive of launching fireworks from within an orchestra? <laughs> uh, yeah, I had some, the first version had some similar kind of ideas, but I mean, it was more brutal. The whole fireworks, it, it wasn't really pretty. And the wife of Thomas Becker told me that it sounded like an airstrike and not like a love scene. <laughs> so, and I, I think she said it quite well. I mean, it was like that because I was really trying to actually emulate fireworks about all the explosions. Actually, the explosions in fireworks are quite dull in, in a way. Mm. And I tried to sort of do a really real version of it. And then I sort of skipped it rewrote the whole thing and did this kind of romantic fireworks <laughs> version of it mm. and uh, and i think it works a lot better especially in the context like you said the whole pe- the beginning is sort of goes to this kind of rahmanin of romantic chromatic kind of big emotion and did you do any reference listening for instance to disney's fantasia where they do a lot of uh, simulating, well, not simulating, but evoking of real world things, and and it's difficult to describe. It's kind of synesthetic. It's like colours and explosions and different tombas. Yeah, well, basically they visually interpreted the music, didn't they? Basically the same kind of idea, I, I guess, but but a bit more modern take. It's very like uh, mm. you have the sorcerer's apprentice there, so so it's very. It's very this kind of certain kind of style. I, I love that piece, by the way. But uh, I did try to find this kind of sort of some realism, and af- after that, so this kind of romantic kind of way to express it. Yeah, and of course, you've done it sort of the opposite way around, haven't you? Whereas um, Fantasia interpreted visuals from the music, you've taken the original form and made music out of it. Yeah, and and just to give listeners an idea of the the different textures that an orchestra can use. You've got um, sandpaper blocks that provide the sound of the ignition, um, violas playing the long glissandos, which are the sound of the fireworks kind of taking off. And and what I thought was particularly clever, I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you've got the trombonists blowing air through the trombone without actually sounding the note to kind of give this sound of air. Yeah, so they have sort of, you have the ignition sound and the trombone, this kind of, thing is sort of expanding that sound further yeah and then you have the glissando from the viola 
and it's just so clever and i don't think a lot of people would would realize that you, you've got that many different colors to play with in the orchestra but but it, you also do that throughout the whole work yeah um as well you're sort of doing do you do you think of that stuff as like contemporary classical i guess uh, yeah i i guess I, i'm a huge fan of john corigliano's music and he has these kind of actually i need this uh ignition theme from there i can say that <laughs> uh, but um i mean he, he he's quite wonderful doing these kind of he has all kinds of things going on for him and he's an expert orchestration and art arranger and such but uh, i guess this is sort of contemporary approach yeah but not like yeah. co contemporary not like contemporary music but contemporary approach to this yes but it's it's very um it's very very romantic isn't it for the 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 sort of for the most part of this movement you really lent into the 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 themes of the characters and i guess it's it was helpful to you in final fantasy 7 at least um not all of the final fantasies each character has a theme but in final fantasy 7 they de you know each character has a very definite theme so so therefore if you want to depict that character through music it's quite easy and, and if you want to introduce another character this to the scene so for instance tifa comes in later you just like in star wars or any leitmotif based thing uh, i guess that's quite wagnerian you just bring her theme in and then you can really play with all all of the material at once yeah yeah and and the cool thing is that i mean nobuo's themes are so i mean you can instantly recognize them even though that they are like similar in some sense they still have this kind of intervallic structure of how you would ever call it like musical structure that uh, if you play a bit from the beginning then you instantly recognize whose theme is it and such and that's why i was able to i mean that's why i was able to do this whole movement because they are so recognizable mm. and uh, yeah is is it your favorite movement of the symphony or or do you consider it the centerpiece I, I guess, <laughs> yeah, but I, I mean, I, I did like to, I mean, it came the most easy for me to write this and arrange this. So that, that was a joy, joyful thing, of course. And I, I mean, I do, I mean, I do like all the, all the movements, but the, of course, this is the most kind of, maybe the most kind of familiar musically mm. for most people, I'd, I'd guess. Because there are other other there are places that are quite contemporary actually, so it might be disrupt maybe the listening audience uh, listening sensation or or not. I mean, if people sort of get the idea behind it. But yeah, this is probably the most. I mean, if if, uh, if always if somebody asks what's your favorite, yeah. it really depends on your mo mood and your day. Yes, and sometimes yeah. I really. Yes don't want to be on a romantic mood and i just want to listen to mayhem yeah you know? <laughs> to get things out of my head and sometimes you just really want to go inside this mushy mushy feeling and then then of maybe course this is yeah. my favorite of the pieces so it depends on your mood doesn't it so. yeah totally so so it depends on that it's interesting did the if you were watching the game on youtube i presume that you must have seen cloud and eris together on the date um in gold saucer because yeah. you know you've you've 
painted that musically as if those two are meant to be together. That's the the destined kind of romantic partnering of the game. Whereas, of course, other fans might have different ideas and, and Tifa might be... Yeah, it's a very controversial uh, discussion, <laughs> isn't it? Because obviously Ares was meant to be with Zach originally and then everyone's like, he should, Cloud should be with Tifa. But uh... Absolutely. But I, I just wanted to... Also, I, I chose Ares because then you get the bigger impact on drama because she gets killed. So, yes. I mean, you have this kind of... Yes. This love thing going on and then things end up not that happy so you can have a big impact in there and that's also one of the reasons I choose Iris but also I think they probably would have gotten together mm. as well in the game I mean if she if... hadn't been murdered brutally yeah, by brutally Sephiroth. murdered yeah <laughs> and they the and just just talk about that actually we, we haven't played the segment but but people can obviously go and listen to it later in the movement um there's this creeping darkness over the whole relationship and Sephiroth comes back and then uh something that i really love that yon at the at the end as uh, when you and i were working on the article i was saying that there's a section that sounds exactly like a hammond organ hammering away these chords as sephiroth sort of stabs eris through the chest in in the in the movement and you were you were telling me that you achieved that sound that kind of bernard herman psycho shower scene sound by having a, was it a whole chromatic chord and like yeah. all across the orchestra playing all these different notes at once and it's the most awful brilliant sound yeah but yeah i, I... I, I really like that place as well. I mean, it's basically if you play it from a keyboard, it would sound like yeah, <laughs> someone's someone's sitting on it, yeah, <laughs> like that. So, so that's it's like me that's trying to play idea. piano. I mean, and you have the rhythm from Sephiroth there, and 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 the whole dissonance and and, and sort of yeah, it's 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 possibly the cleverest moment in the symphony because uh, as you were saying, you had this idea of Ares breathing. And then um, gradually her, her theme represents her breath and um, it, it goes into sync with the one-winged angel, the kind of dump, 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 dump. And then eventually, obviously, her breath stops and it's a really powerful kind of dark moment in the, in the movement. Yeah, I think it's amazing, yeah. Yeah, I'm actually quite very proud of it. As for, I'm also, I mean, when I got the idea, I, I jumped in joy because I, I thought that it... I really thought that you could really bring at this kind of very sad and dramatic ending to this whole movement in a way. And the whole idea how it was with them, he really lost Iris and he obviously Cloud was like really heartbreaking and oh, yeah. took a lot of time to get away from that. So, mm. so um, moving from the, the second movement uh, into the, the third movement, I, I at the at the point of recording, um, I, we haven't finished the article in terms of the d mm. diving deeply into the the third movement. But it struck um, Sam and I. We were listening to it yesterday. That the third movement feels quite different to the other two, in that it, it opens and um, for the first couple of minutes we get uh, Sid's theme and we get a lot of uh, Red Thirteen and sort of Cosmo Canyon stuff. And it was. 
it's it's really interesting because the the sort of first couple of times you listen to it, you might not be able to glean the story you've constructed in your head. Um, but I'm interested to to get your take on it. And actually, we've chosen for going through the third movement, we've chosen three different segments, uh, but shorter to play. So maybe because the first segment is the first minute of the movement, Sam, should we just uh, jump into that and then we can... Yeah, might as well, yeah. And I just wanted to add, it's funny how you mentioned earlier working with the performers who worked on Star Wars because the introduction does have a very John Williams-esque Star Wars feel to me as well for this one. Yeah, In terms of its um, introduction of brass and quite epicness, you know? Yeah, they are the Star Wars band in a way, so... (laughs) If, if you write it like that, it, it will come out a bit like that. I mean, they are yeah, just totally wonderful players. And yeah, of course. So, but yeah, I mean, it, you can sort of hear it. I think so too. Yeah. So should we listen to the, the, thir- the first minute of the movement? Let's have a listen, yeah. Beautiful stuff. I really love how it goes into Cosmo Canyon towards the end of that segment. It really, really does pull on the heartstrings. And and are you so? What I recognise in there is we go from loosely speaking, we we go from Sid's theme to Cosmo Canyon, but we also there's a moment in the the piece, the Q World Crisis from the original game, which is uh, plays over the ending when they're kind of escaping from the uh, canyon and then the holy comes out right near the end and there's a moment i think where the high wind crashes through the ceiling it's not quite clear what, what exactly is going on but you get a snippet of of sid's theme um amongst the chaos going on so the the opening of this movement feels like uh you're you're going for that kind of heroism yeah but are you are you deliberately picking up sid's and red 13's themes because of the characters or is there something else going on here well, actually, I, 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 basically because it's its theme is, it has the same elements than you have on the on the beginning. Yeah, of course. And and of course, he's. I mean, he's the pilot who's sort of taking them to the battle in a way. So, for that's the reason I why I also chose his theme there. And also, there is I, I really li- like the beginning as well. I mean, you have again, you have a big contrast. There is like. Iris has died and then people get alerted and they are sort of like energizing and going F this shit I'm, I'm going to you know I'm going to do some evil things for this evil person yeah so the team is leaping into action yeah yeah and Sid is sort of for me he sort of represents them because he makes 
it's sort of possible in a way as well. Yeah, I think in the col I think in his colorful language, he almost says exactly what you said as well. <laughs> oh, yeah, all right. Well, they call him the captain, don't they? Do they? I can't remember. Um, uh, I, I vaguely remember something like that. But it's, it's quite interesting that you mentioned Sid as such a prominent role, because obviously players of the game, and, and even myself, would, would not really have considered that too much. But he is leading the charge into the canyon, and he's escorting them to safety afterwards. He's the one carrying everyone out with the ship you know yeah he's a man and he's a man for crisis he's a man for for adventure really because we've seen yeah that he trying to lead a domestic life has not exactly gone very well for the, <laughs> yeah. for the people who live with him <laughs> yeah, so, definitely so, a man of action yeah uh, for better or worse <laughs> yeah so but, but i just love i mean the star wars uh, mention the star wars thing is is really apt because it, it must be so exciting that from your pen you get to, you know, you give the music to the London Symphony Orchestra in this recording and you just hear it come to life. That must be like a dream come true. Yeah, it is. And I, I, I mean, this, this, this literally was my dream for the last 40 years. So mm. like the, almost like the thing where I aimed. So when, I, you, when you hear them playing things, you've sort of written them. And of course, Nobuo Uematsu's great material and such so really i mean i'm i'm still speechless and it's like years ago <laughs> yeah did you ever get the temptation to do like really push the orchestra do some really crazy stuff that's very difficult on the page just to test them see how far you know how difficult material you could push in front of them yeah actually this whole symphony is really difficult <laughs> i mean it's it is really difficult like we talked earlier usually there is always more elements than one maybe doing the melody and you have like different kind of textural things mm. that m some are more on the background and some are more on the foreground and balancing this and and the players to sort of grasping everything there's a lot of notes that are doing like this kind of almost like electronic kind of texture mm. there so it is it is quite challenging for the orchestra and it's ch quite challenging for the brass because there is a lot of loud things to play yeah well i mean I, i've played in several orchestras and uh, if there's anyone who's up for a challenge it's brass players <laughs> <laughs> all right cool cool yeah but i mean i mean that i i think this fireworks was the most it's really hard for an orchestra to do actually yeah and uh, i yeah. think it was their third take pretty much everything else was first or second takes but the what is but this took like the third take, so. But well, I can uh, imagine yeah. it was quite a, a tricky thing to pull off. Yeah, and there is there is this slight possibility that if if it doesn't click, then it will just sound like you really really don't have an idea what it is about. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's noted that quite uh, like in a way that uh, you really have to play it like like it's done, and it's it's not easy. Mm. Now I'm just curious at the at the kind of end of this first minute segment we're discussing. You you brought you bring in the Cosmo Canyon theme, yeah. Um, that everyone's very familiar with. Now I'm just curious in in terms of the way you're using it and what you're referencing to, because obviously it's associated with Nanaki, also known as Red Thirteen, but it's also very relevant to his uh, grandfather uh, Bugenhagen, and obviously it's Bugenhagen or Hagen, however you say it. Um, who tells them that the planet is dying and, and gives them all that information and obviously he passes away at a certain point as well 
kind of he's the Yoda. He is. He is the Yoda of the story, and and makes them kind of pledge to finish this mission and save the world. Yeah. Um, are you, are you using it to reference all of that, or Nanaki's character in some way, or focusing on the kind of Bugenhagen reference? Yeah, I mean all that. I I guess it's it's just um, having this kind of. The whole whole beginning and the and the canyon. Also, I wanted to have this kind of easier section before before things get. You know, you have this kind of battle music, which is quite loud and hectic again. So I wanted to have a contrast again before the like like quiet before the storm kind of kind of thing. Mm. Yeah, of and course. You, yeah. It was nice the whole Yoda thing you said because that's probably it's sort of. I mean, the Irish killing Irish was one thing that activated the whole group and then obviously you get to hear that things really will get bad and that's all like everything is sort of just activating them to really finish things star interaction yeah 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 so it's like everything is pushing them forward and and then you have like this the battle themes coming up later Mm. such so let's uh let's move on to the next segment now which uh we're going to hear from about um, closer to six minutes to seven seven minutes, and in this section, we're going to catch the tail end of a bit where you're referencing uh, Geneva Absolute, which is, uh, I believe, one of the boss later boss. Yeah, themes. I believe it's the final boss fight with Geneva. Yeah, it's when she turns up in the crater. Ah, okay. And we get um, the main theme or clouds theme, as you might call it. We get. Uh, a little snippet of Sid's theme. We get a little snippet of Tifa's theme. I'm very interested to find out because you do something similar to the fireworks section is that we get these these snatches of melody um, that, and then they suddenly disappear again. So let's listen to it and then I'm really curious to find out what what's the story of this segment and, and what inspired you to do it. So let's have a listen. <laughs> So yeah, Jan, we've got these these. Um, uh, we've just had the section of of Jennifer Absolute, which I assume is a kind of a boss fight within the symphony, as it were. Um, but what are these sort of snatches of the different themes? And I can't quite recognise the fourth one as well. Um, to me, it sounds a bit like the uh, na na na, I believe. So I think it's supposed to represent Sephiroth. Yeah, yeah, it is actually. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the, the game has like this turn based fighting, you know. 
-hmm. you have to sort of click and then things happen and oh, it's not okay. happening like so that is the idea <laughs> i mean I, we've all talked quite a long yeah. time with thomas how to approach this fight he, he didn't want to have this kind of just like normal fight thing there yeah he wanted yeah. to have something else and i thought different ways of doing it and this is basically like tifa is hitting when you hear tifa and uh, and you have Sephiroth. That's, that's kind of how I was imagining it, actually. Like it was Cloud's turn, then it was Sid's turn, then it was Tifa's turn, and yeah. then Sephiroth did something. <laughs> yeah, it is. Actually, that's that's my idea. I, I, I just tried to do it differently. Obviously, some people like it a lot and some people sort of don't. But uh, I'm actually quite happy with it. No, no, I think it works great. It, yeah, I had it in my head that they were taking turns and, and kind of having their... In my in my head, sort of like a in a filmic style way, it was yeah. their their kind of close up moment, you know. And and Jon, in terms of the symphonic form, you're 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 not afraid to break everything down to silence or almost silence. It happens um, all across the symphony at various moments. You're not afraid of very quiet dynamic sections um, coming out of very loud uh, sections. So I just wondered. Um, do you consider because the the movement starts with a lot of energy and a lot of um, action and adventure, whether you see it as a sort of a palate cleanser, a way to reset this movement before um, later we're going to go into the kind of holy theme and the ending section where the the holy magic comes to save the planet from meteor. Yeah, that's that's actually that's spot on. I I would say because I mean if you continue the whole battle thing as well, like like for minutes and minutes and minutes it really gets boring and too heavy for the ears so that was also the reason to have this section there to just to cleanse your ears a bit mm. but to have the battle element there going on and tr just like trying to do it that way originally by the way i tried to do all the sound effects for from the fights <laughs> that they are throwing their things but it, i mean i used a lot of time for it but i never I mean, it would have not worked, at least at my current skill level. I would have not, could have not make it work for the, there. I really wanted to have those sound effects there, but then, then I sort of did the similar kind of thing with it, so that there are kind of sound effect kind of things of, of the themes. Just popped to my head. You, you probably deserve a, a Guinness World Record or something. For, this has got to be the first occasion in a classical symphony where two different audiences so like my mum listening to this would have no idea that about uh playing the game and clicking the buttons and that this section is supposed to evoke mm. that whereas a an ardent fan of final fantasy and final fantasy 7 in particular uh, like you sam is able to recognize that that these are attacks in a turn-based battle and that's such a neat that's such a difficult idea to kind of explain to somebody but it's got to you know you can't imagine beethoven or mozart uh uh using this technique so so Jan, i i i really think you must be the first classical composer to sort of evoke the in interactive mechanic of a video game in your in your work <laughs> yeah well yeah i ho hope so i mean it's it's I, 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 usually, I mean, people have like crazy ideas all the time, but actually realizing them and going with them, through them. I mean, putting this there, it again, it was quite a big risk. And we thought with Thomas that I don't know if people sort of get it or do they sort of 
like it on and uh, and if, if it sort of makes sense to them in a way but uh, mm. but uh, yeah well I'm, I'm glad to hear this because it was quite yeah, well, it's, it's one of those fascinating genres as well where i mean i i'm obviously a, a fan of the series and, and know final fantasy 7 well but i think even if i didn't um for example if someone came in and listened to this music they would accept it for what it is and accept it as a fantastically written symphony yeah and i think it is one of those um kind of crossovers that works really really well for both audiences and i think you know pretty much almost anyone listening to this symphony would enjoy it it's an incredible way of because because obviously the 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 old stigma of video games and video game music is that it's just bleeps and bloops but what you've done here is just use this incredibly clever musical mechanic as it were to give these bursts of melody that just then disappear to nothing that is um that evokes a video game but it doesn't sound like a bleep or a bloop at all um it doesn't sound mechanical in that way so it's it's an incredibly sort of delicate thing but also you could say that we're halfway through the final movement of the symphony it's been wonderful up to this point you've probably got listeners on on side anyway so i don't think uh, it's a case of um kind of driving them away or putting them off and it is uh, as we say what we know what's coming next and obviously there's a huge climactic build to the end that comes after this so it really does it's a nice moment it's the perfect moment to do it really yeah and i i, I think this was the the biggest nod for the gamers actually from my part just like i mean if you if you get it I, then you probably will smile at least a bit mm. so it's th- that's also the reason why i thought it might be nice for people who really sort of been playing it a lot and maybe yeah. playing it recently yeah. so they have it in their mind i mean that's the benefit of being a player is, is when you listen to it you, you kind of pride yourself on knowing each theme and, and and kind of understanding um possibly what part of the story is occurring and and you know you, you do take a bit of pride in knowing that and having experienced that that you can be you can tell in the musical score they're like oh this is happening and now that's happening and oh excellent you know and it's the it's the weirdest thing about this rise in kind of uh, music, classical music, orchestral music based on video games is that that fusing of of people's nostalgia and their memories and the melodies and and loving a piece of music all the more because it's tied to a memory from a, a, another medium. It is truly it's weird. It's got to be something new. I don't know. It sort of added depth added layer meta layer to to enjoying a piece mm. of music but um should we should we move on to the third segment segment from this uh, movement yeah and that and the final segment um we're discussing as part of this podcast as well so it's very exciting um we're going to be listening to around just over 11 minutes to 12 minute 31 ish um so yeah let's let's take a listen <laughs> Thank you. 
I mean, it, it really is um, splendid stuff. And it must be because I've I recently went to a Sibelius Symphony con- concert that uh, this is really giving me those um, Sibelius uh, chills, uh, Jan. But um, some, of the, some of the music here, we've got uh, uh, the holy theme, which is my name for it, but it comes from uh, the end of the track, World Crisis. Uh, the, the melody that the brass plays over the top uh, players might recognise, I think, from that piece, but also earlier on from the piece called Lifestream, which is where um, the team are discussing with Bugenhagen amongst the huge materia, if you manage to pick them up. And then, of course, weaved in, uh, we get a bit of Cloud's theme that leads uh, right near the end. That's the big goosebumps moment. And then a, and a huge climactic to finish it but Sam you reckon you've heard you heard a couple of other things in there haven't you yeah I, I reckon I have literally only just really spotted it again but right at about 11 minutes um it sounds like there's a, a very short reference to one winged angel um which has a breakdown moment which is the bam 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 ah very clever um but right at this 11 minute mark it seems to do that but with a triumphant major um resolution as opposed to the the old minor that would lead into the rest of the track so i thought that was quite a nice interesting little moment there but of course we've got the man who actually wrote it so he could tell us yes exactly what well, am i right or and am i just I reading don't too remember much at all i don't remember this. <laughs> <laughs> well it sounds very similar to me it, i mean it might have might have it might have been there I mean, the cloud obviously is there. It's it's just like, even though that he's not like physically there, but it's like ideological. In in a way, I mean, they win in 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 a way. Yeah. So yeah, that's why his team is there. But yeah, I I, I have to I have to check that. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Well, it's pretty much exactly on eleven minutes. But as as with all interpretations of art, I suppose it's it's. Uh... <laughs> you can have it, Sam. You can have it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so Jan, is it? Uh, reading too I've deep. always wondered, and you, you know, you're the only one of the three of us who's ever got to compose a, a huge symphony. But is it hard to write the final section? Because I was talking about, you know, Sibelius Symphony. Sibelius Symphony Five is famous for its absolutely gigantic final movement with the brass. You know, is it, or is it somewhat easier because you know what you're working towards, and you kind of know that at the end you're going to have these these huge big chords. Yes and no. I, I I mean it's it's easier in a way that in a in a form you know that this is gonna be a big build up and a crescendo for this kind of majestic brass playing. But uh, the hard part, of course, is actually doing it <laughs> and, and and writing it so that it's 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 playable for the orchestra and sort of you don't give up up the dynamics too quickly. And uh, so that you can, it, it it feels the right amount of time and this, all these kind of mm. things. And of, of course the orchestration and such. But uh, yeah, yeah, I, I guess, I mean, I really like this piece from the game as well. Mm. I really want just to lift it. And I think this is pretty much the, the whole idea of the game. You have this like, the live stream also wins the, the Syndra, over the Syndra and what, what not yeah. in, in a way. So. Yeah that's the like the big winner here even though and that's the reason i sort of continued it to the end and it sort of just fades into the future that it's just that it it keeps on going on forever again and it's it's like life saved it's it's not destroyed Mm. yeah yon you've picked up on uh uematsu's brilliant ability to 
because uh, he's perso- not personifying, but he is um, using this this brand new theme. We've never heard this musical material yet in the game. This uh, this repeating ostinato, um, and it gives such a, a feeling of motion and positivity and um and heroism but you've also got am i wrong is there's some dissonance as well in the background like there's some struggle still going on behind it yeah i mean yeah it it, yeah actually it it does have dissonance but it's i don't know if you know spectral music or spectrum music how how do you say it but i mean it sounds exciting it's actually the dissonance is in a way how it would fit on I mean, if, if you play and play a note, let's say a C, mm. you'll hear a lot more uh, sounds than just oh, the C note. So the, harmon- the harmonics like that play is part of the note. Yeah, the harmonic series. Thank you. So actually, the, the dissonance is now sort of organized through this harmonic series. So it, I mean, it, it's dissonance, but it's it on the orchestral hall, it blends quite fabulously, so that mm. you don't have this kind of. Uh, in here, it's it sounds a bit more dissonant, but on the whole itself, it's more of blends to this one sound a bit more. So it's like overcoming the dissonance or <laughs> mm. what's been before on this whole whole symphony. And that was sort of my idea idea a bit about it. And I, I'm interested for that for the chord that comes at twelve uh, about twelve minutes thirty is this giant key change chord where the whole symphony just takes a left turn with this this uh, this key change how did you come about that or did you just think it felt right yeah and i i think i wanted to end it to the same key that i started in it in <laughs> <laughs> okay but but, uh, but yeah I, I also did want to have this kind of yeah it's true i wanted to have this kind of su- switch to everything is now major and everything yeah. is now good kind of feeling and that's sort of i i did go to that's true, but uh, also I wanted to end on the same key, obviously. <laughs> and then, and and then there's this, as you described earlier, this sort of continuation. There's a very, very quiet outro. What does that uh, just just repeat for us? What what that represents? And um, and do you tend to like what? Why did you choose to have such a quiet, subtle tale to the to the whole symphony? Uh, I don't know. It just sort of felt fitting there i mean and, and the thing is that I, I had this idea that the live stream continues mm. on goes on and then it sort of goes on like shimmering in the end and it just disappears to where it came from to save you in a way and uh, I, I think it's more because I, I didn't want this to have this kind of i mean if you have a do a ending that's like big and you have instantly this kind of energetic feeling and this kind of yeah yeah kind of thing going on in your head but mm. I, I wanted to end it quietly and uh, did you ever have trouble with audiences in the live performances who started clapping too early no not at all actually because there are people playing and and then conductor is conducting so people understand that it's going on and such mm. but uh, i think it's it's um, i wanted it to end this kind of feeling this kind of in introspection i mean where you look inside yourself and these kind of things to have this kind of ending than this kind of big boom there mm. because I, I i mean when i watched the youtube videos a couple of times i i thought a couple of times even though that everything 
was saved, I I felt really sad mm. because because there's been a lot of sad things going mm. on. So it's it's not. I mean, it's a happy end, but it really isn't a happy end in a way. So mm. that yeah. That's the reason I wanted it to have, be there. Obviously, some other people might have different ideas about it, but that's how I, I thought about it. Yeah, well, the ending of Final Fantasy VII is quite um, controversial anyway, in terms of the fact that it's it's quite open-ended. You know, you have this climactic ending, um, Holy fights back against Meteor, and then it pretty much ends and cuts to 500 years later, where Red Thirteen is running around with a post-apocalyptic looking world where everything's overgrown and <laughs> it doesn't really say and then horizon zero dawn starts exactly yeah, yeah so um i mean that's been a fantastic discussion of the the the, the final symphony and symphonic movements of final fantasy 7 um wow what 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 a kind of um accomplishment you've had there yon what what a phenomenal work of art to be honest Thank you. No, it is. It truly is. A I mean, and that's not even the only tracks on the album. Final Symphony has, you know, many other tracks on there with it. Um, but this especially is it's a very special creation. And uh, do you have any other plans for the future to do something again with Final Fantasy or, or even of this scale? Well, I don't know. I, like I said, I'm quite connected to Merengsno Studios and what they are doing. So, so I... Think probably we'll do something different again if, if when when and if Thomas does some these kind of new concepts. He's now touring this uh, this uh, Final Symphony one and two around the world and uh, maybe maybe someday. I don't know. I I mean this is quite interesting thing to work with because the fact that people already know the music so well. It's like. It's like using major and ma minor, you know, major is happy and minor is sad in a way. So you have this kind of, of course, yeah. thing instantly in your hands and you don't have to sort of explain any, anything and you just can just go and, and, and drop everything so people know what's happening instantly. Uh, that's really intriguing, I, I think, if that's the right word, I hope. <laughs> no, yeah, definitely. No, it is, yeah. So, so Jan, I'm interested to ask that. Um, what would you, if if there's fans coming to this who maybe don't listen to much classical music, if any, um, who really love Final Fantasy um, and really enjoy Final Symphony and the other sort of concert suites like it, what would you recommend as further listening for someone who really enjoys this uh, Final Fantasy symphony? Maybe um, something else that's similarly, I guess, romantic and leitmotif based. What What are the symphonies maybe that inspired this piece for you? Well, I've, I've, there's so much. I mean, I listen to quite a lot of contemporary music. I like, for instance, Henry Dudillier. I like him a lot, and John Corigliano, like I mentioned earlier. Mm. I like their music a lot. I'm, and Corigliano is it, it's quite. Uh, his music is quite. I mean, it's you have like uh, like tonal things going on there, and not so tonal things, and that's quite interesting to listen to. And his orchestrations and everything he does, he's just like absolutely great at what he does. Mm. And uh, of course, now I don't. Nothing comes to my mind at the <laughs> moment, but 
I could collect a list Mm. Yeah, sure, I mean, yeah. We'll, we'll pop some links below to your recommendations for anyone else who's interested in listening to uh, to more of this style and more of uh, the influences you've had. Well, for my for my part, I would recommend that people listen to, as I say, uh, Sibelius Symphony Number no. Five is very accessible. Um, I think Rachmaninoff Symphony Number no. Two, I think. Um, and then recently, I uh, went to a concert of Brook Bruckner Symphony Seven, which is. Uh, really oh, su- yeah. superb and has a few kind of i guess interstellary spacey type of overtones certainly in some of the movements but um uh, and then the the easiest one i guess is uh, the uh, beethoven symphony six uh, or seven or eight actually but uh, symphony six is very tuneful and accessible and um, because of disney's fantasia it's uh, it, that's that's a lovely way to check it out because it obviously they have the visuals of a, a storyline throughout the symphony Fantastic. Well, I guess that pretty much wraps up our kind of summary and discussion of Final Fantasy VII, a symphony in three movements. And, you know, to go, I'd love to go into more detail. Obviously, as a Final Fantasy fan myself, we could talk about this for hours (laughs) on end, I'm sure. Um, But if you do want to find out a bit more detail and a bit more of the nitty gritty, then um, Tom has written some fantastic articles um, over at least with Wax going into more detail and and a further discussion with Jan. Um, I'll put some links below. Uh, And those are are absolutely great to read. I mean, you really did an excellent job. I I never thought that you that it would you, I mean, people would pick so much from things, but it's it's yeah. very nice and it, yeah. it's it's oh, really it's excellent. Fantastic. Oh, Thank it's fantastic! Much. Yeah, both beautiful articles. I'm very much looking forward to Article Three, um, which at point of recording has not been released, but yes. um, to discuss the the final movement. But yes, it goes into great detail, um, and there's some fantastic nuggets of information in there. So do check those out. They're beautifully written. And just a quick shout out to Roger Wanamo's Final Fantasy VI symphonic poem from Final Symphony, which we also did an article breaking down. But it's uh, it's an 18 minute piece, so it's shorter than than Jon's 40 minute symphony. But it's it, it's if you're if mm. you happen to be maybe more of a fan of Final Fantasy VI, it's a real um, really wonderful piece um, and um, quite different from the symphony. But it's we're still in the same ballpark, you know. It's very melodic there's lots of drama to it there's lots of ups and downs so i I really recommend if nothing else that people um go and listen to that on the the final symphony album as well excellent and aside from that i'd just like to thank all of our listeners for listening to these podcasts um and this one especially and i'd like to thank tom quilfelt for joining me today as co-host and a fountain of knowledge on the subject um, thanks very much, Tom. It's been a pleasure having you co-hosting with me today. Yeah, it's been a pleasure being on here. And of course, a massive thank you to Jan Valtonen for joining us today to discuss his work and uh, to go into further detail on some of the segments we've chosen. Thanks very much, Jan. Well, thank you. Thank you for this interview. It was great fun. Excellent. And thanks for listening and tune in again soon for more Sound Architect podcasts. Thank you for listening to the Sound Architect podcast, sponsored by Krotos Limited, creators of Simple Monsters and Dehumanizer. Don't forget you can also catch all of our great reviews and other articles at our website at www.thesoundarchitect.co.uk. If you would like to support The Sound Architect, please check out our sponsorship link as well as our Patreon.